Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. So it's a disastrous World Cup for Africa as all of the African teams have gone out at the group stage for the first time since 1982. No more African interest and we ask what has gone wrong. Also, we look ahead to the round of 16 games. We talk about the video assistant referee and we begin a series with Brazil World Cup winner Kaká talking about his football and his faith. It was really special to be among that group and to have been world champion in 2002. It brings me great satisfaction. That's coming up later. So it's heartbreak for fans of African football as all of the African teams have gone out at the group stage of the FIFA World Cup for the first time since 1982. Senegal were our one remaining hope. They went out in cruel fashion on Thursday as they were eliminated on yellow cards accrued in the tournament after losing to Colombia and finishing level on points with Japan. Nigeria were minutes away from making it, only to lose 2-1 to Argentina, conceding in the 86th minute, while Egypt, Morocco and Tunisia were all out after playing two games. Uh, Well, Solomon, this is so painful. Africa's worst World Cup since 1982, although probably I'd say Africa's worst World Cup ever, as in 1982 there were only two African teams there. Now we have five. Not even one of those five could make it to the second round. Well, Steve, for for any football-loving fan from Africa and any other football fan across the world that enjoys Africa's football This is definitely um, very painful for Africa. It wasn't just to be, you know, out of the five teams, there was uh, a win for Nigeria, a win for Senegal, and that was just it. All we saw was lots of losses and also uh, quite a lot of draws. So any African football uh, fan will be disappointed. African football players will be disappointed because instead of making progress, you know, where we should be targeting the quarterfinal and also the semifinal. Now it seems like we're taking steps backward. This is the worst performance ever, Steve. And Africa had played and uh, we saw a lot of expectations on African teams coming into the World Cup to perform very well. Senegal, Nigeria, Egypt with Mo Salah. But all that counted for nothing because at the end of the day, you not you need to make sure you win games. You don't depend on other results and you need to make sure you prepare very well. Not just preparation, but when you play at this level, every point counts. There's no way you could just go dropping points. That's what we saw with Egypt, Morocco and Tunisia especially. They dropped points, but uh, Nigeria and Senegal, you know, came very close. But at the same time, it was too far. It's so, so disappointing. So the last World Cup, two teams made it to the second round. In 2010, Ghana got to the quarterfinals. Now all of the teams out at the group stage. It means that we're moving in the wrong direction and moving rapidly in the wrong direction. Uh, Let's look at Senegal, Solomon. They were eliminated in a tough way on those fair play rules. But uh, were they convincing enough in their games? 
I don't feel that Senegal was convincing enough. You know, Senegal went out based on technicality. Senegal ended with four points uh, from three games, the same number of points uh, with Japan, the same number of goal uh, for and also against with Japan. Now, Japan had four yellow cards and Senegal had six yellow cards. But Senegal went into this game against Colombia knowing that they need to get a draw. And when you're playing against Colombia, when you attack, you had your opportunities. You don't take those opportunities. At the end of the day, you're playing against a Colombian team that is a bit more experienced. At the last World Cup, they did very well. You know, and now you are supposed to play to make sure you don't concede, but to make sure you score just to put the opposition in a very awkward situation. And we didn't see that with Senegal. We didn't see that. We saw a lot of situations where the Senegalese players were basically playing around and, uh, you know, the usual African football of uh, a bit of uh, flair and all that. But that's not what you need at this level, especially when you're playing your last game in the group and you need to get a win or a draw for you to be able to get into the next game. So for me, I don't think Senegal did enough. Yeah, I agree with you there, Solomon. Uh, We had a lot of comments on our Facebook page on Nigeria's exit. After their loss to Argentina, Captain John Mikel Ob said, I'm very proud of the boys and what we have achieved. I think we've done really well and we have to keep on going. So we asked if you agree with those comments. Uh, Kupten Single says, no, losing two games in three matches, is that an achievement? Mamad Do So says, I don't agree with Mikel. I think they had to kill the game off as Igalo got that chance to score. And I don't understand why Iwobi didn't come on earlier. Lamin Cham says the Super Eagles have done well, but indeed they should have come all out to score as the Argentine defenders were poor and they couldn't control players such as Ahmed Musa. Candes Jalo says Mikel is right, but adds, I think they should have prepared more for Messi's Argentina after knowing that they were eliminated by them four years ago. Moses Al-Hakim says, yes, absolutely. Credit goes to Musa once again. Igalo should have killed off the game and there was poor refereeing. The referees are against Africans. And a lot of listeners strongly agree with those sentiments from Moses that Nigeria should have had a penalty when the ball came from the head of Argentina defender Marcus Rojo onto his arm. A video assistant referee review resulted in a no penalty decision. Musa Ba says shame on FIFA and on all European referees. They never want Africa to have something. VAR is a fake. The same kind of incident happened in the Portugal game with a handball and it was given. So why not this one? Bay Malik Totti says the referee reviewed this and he chose to ignore it. So yes, the whole of Africa should be proud of the Super Eagles. Gabriel Mendy says credit to them. They all got us feeling proud. But I command the Nigeria FA to protest to FIFA because they were robbed. It was a penalty indeed, says Gabriel. Sheikh Alkalo Jatta says that, well, without the VAR and the referee, Nigeria would be through to the next stage. Well, Solomon, controversial this. Uh, what are your sentiments on this penalty shout that Nigeria had turned down? You know, some referees would definitely give a penalty, but other referees would not. But at the same time, again, that's not what you would want to keep depending on. 
you want to be able to win fair and square. Uh, it's unfortunate Nigeria didn't get the, that penalty. But for me, it's, it's a situation of depending on the, the referee and how they interpret it. You know, it's a, it's a 50-50 situation. It might be a penalty, I mean, not. I know, and you can look at it via the VAR. We've watched quite a lot of games and we've seen some situations where that penalty appeal was turned down or was given. It's unfortunate for Nigeria, but for me, it was a 50-50 chance. And it depends, uh, is the referee's score. Uh, and if you look at it, uh, the handball was not really an intentional handball, uh, you know, and it didn't really take away uh, the position of the ball away from Idion Ogalo, uh because he had a shot at goal at the same time. So it's hard luck for Nigeria. Yes, a big talking point that. Uh, well, Solomon, Morocco only got one point from their three games, uh, though one of the most memorable images at this World Cup so far was the Morocco players and their fans in tears after they came so close to beating Spain in their final game. Spain equalised in stoppage time for a 2-2 draw. Credit to Morocco, they were already out going into that game, but they played with so much passion. Yeah, credit must go to Morocco. Uh, They were already out, but uh, getting a win against Spain, obviously, would have been a a huge, huge uh, plus for them. A great memory they would have created as they bow out of the World Cup against uh, a big powerhouse like Spain. Uh, But unfortunately, it didn't happen. It ended in a 2-2 draw. They played with so much passion. I love the way that the Moroccans play in that game. I actually thought Morocco was one of the teams at the World Cup that needed some good luck, but they never had luck on their side. Uh, If you look at their previous two games also, you know, they came close to, even the last uh, that they lost, they came close to, uh, they didn't deserve to based on how they played. But we saw a solid Moroccan side we saw the way they were attacking. They played for 90 minutes, which is what they never, they didn't do in their other two games. Here, they played for 90 minutes from start to finish, which is a good thing. But hard luck for them. They got a 2-2 draw. Some sort of memory for them. But at the same time, the passion they showed is what you expect from any African team. Yes, so well done to Morocco in a difficult group. But uh, it's painful that we're looking at the positives in the face of defeat for the African teams rather than celebrating success of some kind. These positives that we're taking up now, you know, should have been a situation where we talk about this when we get to the quarterfinal or when we have two teams from Africa at least uh, in the round of 16. We're supposed to be celebrating the success, a new benchmark for Africa. Or we get the first team in history to play in the semi-final. That would have been a great for Africa because that's what it is. You know, we want to be able to make sure that at the end of the day, Africa is well represented. Not to just go into uh, a mood of autopsy uh, and and at a very early stage, after just three games, and that's not what we want. You know, it's disappointing. But at the same time, we need to evaluate, look at the positives, also look at the negatives, just so we can learn from it. And uh, next time around in Qatar, hopefully Africa is going to learn a huge lesson. And, uh, you know, we see uh, how Africa teams can perform there. Yes, well, you can give us your thoughts on this on Facebook and on WhatsApp. I'd say, no doubt, this is Africa's worst World Cup ever. Uh, The first time since 1982 that all of the African teams have gone out at the group stage. But uh, back in 1982, there were only two African representatives. Now we have five. 
Not even one could make it to the second round. So what has gone wrong? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, some comments in already on Facebook, and Em Echo Smith says we had weak representatives. I don't know how the likes of Morocco, Egypt, and Tunisia managed to qualify. I believe if we had three West African teams out there, at least one would have made it through. Philip Canu says African teams are playing with no commitment, no focus, no determination, and full of disappointment for the continent. Musa Kamara says, "I think since we don't have Ghana, this is very sad because countries like Egypt and Tunisia, I don't know how they qualify." Usman Mbalo says, "Thanks for asking the question. I hope that you will engage the right stakeholders to make an end to these errors of referees' mistakes and the video assistant referee." And I'm proud to be African, adds Usman. And Babukar Sise says, "It was bad refereeing." So give us your thoughts on Facebook or on WhatsApp. Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Our WhatsApp number plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, now let's uh, go to the UK and uh, hear from Stuart Weir. Uh, Stuart, we now know the 16 teams that have made it through to the second round of the World Cup.、Uh, let's start to Stuart with a look at the top half of the draw. In Group A, Uruguay finished first with Russia second, while Spain topped Group B on goal difference from Portugal, which means that Spain play Russia and Uruguay play Portugal. Now it's hard to assess the Russian team. Their FIFA ranking is 70th in the world, but they've not played any competitive games for two years. They've been called the worst Russian team in years. They looked impressive beating Saudi Arabia and Egypt, but were then blown away by Uruguay,、uh, making them look pretty ordinary. Really, Spain won the World Cup in 2010, but they are now a shadow of that great team. They played well against Portugal, scored three excellent goals, but then conceded three awful goals, and in their final game needed a last-minute VAR goal to avoid defeat against Morocco. Uruguay's record is played three, won three, scored five, conceded none, and they look like a team heading for the semi-finals. I'd say Portugal were very much second best to Spain in every respect. But got that three-three draw only because of Ronaldo's brilliance. Portugal have got five goals in the World Cup so far, and Ronaldo has got four of them. The problem is, I think that they're a bit of a one-man team, and I can't see Portugal beating Uruguay. I'm afraid. Group C saw the two European teams, France and Denmark, go through, and Australia and Peru go home. It was a victory, you might say, for pragmatism over romance. France won the group with a known goal, a doubtful VAR penalty, and a nil-nil draw. Efficient, a bit lucky, but not a World Cup winner, I would say. In Group D, everyone expected Argentina to win the group, but they struggled. Croatia were brilliant, winning their three games, scoring seven goals, and conceding only one. But that leaves us now with Argentina playing France, and Croatia taking on Denmark in the last sixteen. 
Argentina are a little fortunate to go through, but four more wins and they will be World Cup winners and they do have Messi. Yeah, so Argentina still very much alive in this World Cup uh, at Nigeria's expense. And some uh, big matchups in the bottom half of the draw, Stuart. Group F looked pretty straightforward, but the shock of the World Cup so far occurred with World Cup holders Germany losing to Mexico and losing to South Korea, leaving Sweden top of the group on goal difference from Mexico and Germany eliminated. Brazil, as expected, won Group E, but far less comfortably than one might have expected of a five-time World Cup winner. Brazil could only draw with Switzerland and then beat Costa Rica only with two goals in stoppage time before winning their final game with Serbia. That left Brazil top, Switzerland second, Serbia third and Switzerland also effectively securing their qualification with a stoppage time winner against Serbia, which leaves us with Sweden playing Switzerland and Brazil against Mexico in the last 16. Group H saw Colombia as group winners. Group G was the group no one seemed to want to win, as the runners-up had an easier passage through the knockout stage. England and Belgium had already qualified before their meeting in the final game and between them made 17 changes from their previous selections. Belgium won the game 1-0, so Belgium played Japan and England faced Colombia in the last 16. The breakdown of the last 16 countries are 10 from Europe, 4 from South America, 1 from Asia, 1 from Central America and none from Africa. As we look at the last 16, there really is no outstanding teams which makes very open World Cup, no clear favourite, and several countries thinking they have a great chance of winning the 2018 World Cup. Well, thanks, Stuart. To stay with us, and those round of 16 games run from Saturday through to Tuesday. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. And our Twitter handle is at Planet Sport FA. We're now to an interview from our archives with Kaká, a World Cup winner with Brazil in 2002 and the 2007 World Player of the Year. Kaká is now retired after a career that saw him play for AC Milan and Real Madrid. He played at three World Cups, was much loved across Africa. Remember that Kaká played here in Zimbabwe in a World Cup warm-up just before the 2010 World Cup. He's also been very open about his faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. In our first part of our interview with Kaká, he talks about first his memories of winning the World Cup. I was 20 years old at the time, and it was my first World Cup in 2002. I played for 25 minutes in a match against Costa Rica, but I felt like a world champion. It was a short experience, time-wise, but the experience I had among the 20 or 23 players of that national team was really great. For me, it was really special to be among that group and to have been world champion in 2002. 
It brings me great satisfaction, and I'm really happy to be able to say that I participated in the fifth time the Brazilian national team won the World Cup. I was on the sideline, waiting to enter in that final, when our national coach, Filipao, called me and told me to go on. There were five minutes left to the end of the match, so I quickly changed and waited on the sideline. Brazil was already winning 2-0, and Germany had already lost any hope of winning. Brazil began to pass the ball, and the ball wouldn't leave the pitch. When the referee blew the final whistle, I ran onto the field, and the only thing I could do was to glorify and to thank God. I knew the whole world was watching that game. Millions and millions of people, all glued to the television. The great emotion of being world champion was almost too much, so I ran into the field to glorify God and hugged my teammates. Edmilson and Lucio and I prayed together and it was a really fantastic and amazing thing. Well, now let's go back a couple of years before that World Cup because Kaká had an accident that could have brought his career to a premature end. Well, in 2000, I played for the San Paulo junior team. We were in the middle of the Paulista Junior Championships when I received a yellow card. I was suspended for the following game, so I took advantage of the free weekend to visit my grandparents, who lived in Caldas Novas at the time. They don't live there anymore, but they lived in Caldas Novas at the time, which is a city in Brazil known for its thermal waters and water parks. My brother, my parents, my grandparents and I went to one of these water parks. As I was coming down one of the slides into the pool, I was in front of my brother who was just behind me. When I came down the slide, I hit my head on the bottom of the pool and my neck snapped. I fractured the sixth vertebra in my neck. At the time, I had no idea what happened. I came out of the pool with a strong headache and my brother, who had come down the slide right after me, asked me what happened. I told him I hit my head on the bottom of the pool. He touched my head and saw that I was bleeding. He convinced me to go to the first aid centre because my head was bleeding. From there, we went to the hospital where they took an X-ray of my neck to see if everything was okay. According to the X-ray, everything looked fine. I got a few stitches in my head and that was that. I returned to São Paulo to train on Monday as well as on Tuesday, all the while with a broken neck. On Tuesday, when I couldn't stand the pain, I called the coach and the physical trainer and told them that I couldn't bear the pain any longer. They sent me to see a doctor at the hospital where they took another x-ray. It was in this x-ray that the fracture in the sixth vertebra was shown. Everyone, including the doctors, told me I was very lucky that nothing more serious happened. They told me that I could have become paralysed and lost my ability to walk and to play football. This was a great experience in my life because I believe it was not luck. I believe God was protecting me during that time from anything more serious. So did that accident affect Kaká's faith? Many people think that I became a Christian after the accident, but that isn't true. 
I was raised in a Christian home, and my parents, who are evangelicals, are also Christians. Since I was a child, they taught me and raised me with biblical values. This is just one of the many thousands of experiences I have had with God, but it was a very strong and clear experience in life. The accident happened in October of 2000, while I was playing in the base position on the San Paulo junior team. Throughout November and December, I had to wear a neck brace and couldn't play. I began to play again in January of 2001, and after about 10 or 15 days, I was called to play for the San Paulo professional team. Because of this, I don't think it was a coincidence. I believe God had a purpose in that accident. Something that happened just before I had the great blessing of starring as a professional in San Paulo and initiating my career as a professional football player. That is Kaká, 2002 World Cup winner with Brazil and played at three World Cups in total and was the 2007 World Player of the Year. And more from Kaká on next week's show. But now let's go back to the ongoing World Cup in Russia. Stuart Weir still with us with a few more thoughts on the tournament. We talked about the video assistant referee earlier in the show, in particular the decision against Nigeria in the game against Argentina. But uh, overall, Stuart, uh, what are your views on how the VAR is working out? Steve, I nearly called this my weekly moan about the VAR, but no, I'd be more positive. Now, Rio Ferdinand, the ex-England international, said that he felt that VAR was adding to the entertainment and excitement, and I think I tend to agree. Think of the dramatic end to Group B. With 90 minutes played, Portugal were leading Iran 1-0, and Spain were losing to Morocco, meaning that Portugal were top of the group. Then Iran were awarded a penalty, and Spain an equaliser against Morocco, which put Spain top of the group. Now, that both decisions were based on a VAR intervention added to the drama. The Iran manager said afterwards, that's Carlos Queiroz, who used to be at Real Madrid, raised a really good question, saying that he wasn't sure who was making the decisions. Was it the match referee or was it the VAR? And I totally agree with that, because sometimes we see the referee seeming to change his decision on the word of the VAR. Other times we see the match referee going and looking at the incident on a television. And We've previously mentioned the protocol that VAR only intervenes when there's a clear and obvious error. But this is not being followed. Take the penalty awarded to Iran uh, against Portugal, not by the referee, but by the VAR. Or the Nigerian claim for a penalty late in the game against Argentina. Now, there was a case for the decisions to go either way. But neither decision was a clear and obvious error by the match official. So therefore, I would say they should not have been reviewed. Well, so many talking points that the VAR is uh, throwing up. And uh, we will return to this uh, on Planet Sport Football Africa in the coming weeks. And uh, Stuart, lots of other talking points and stories uh, from the World Cup. Philippe Balloy, who scored for Panama, is 37. But the oldest player ever to score in the World Cup is Roger Miller for Cameroon in 1994 when he was 42. But that's quite young compared to the Egyptian goalkeeper 
Esam Elhadri, who at 45 is the oldest player to play in a World Cup game. And, of course, he saved a penalty for Egypt against Saudi Arabia. There's a day to remember for him. France and Denmark drew nil-nil in a game which neither of them really needed to win. And that ended a sequence of 36 World Cup games in which at least one goal had been scored. Another thing which has fascinated me is that at this World Cup we've had 16 goals scored in the 90th minute or later. You know, the old saying is it's not over till it's over is certainly true of this World Cup and it's not one to leave early because you could miss the best bit. Now, Steve, I know you love this, but this is the first time that the two largest canals in the world have been represented in the World Cup. The Suez Canal and the Panama Canal, represented, of course, by Panama and Egypt. Well, the wonders of the World Cup. Thanks very much, Stuart. Um, That's it for the show for this week. Uh, But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, we're asking for your thoughts on what I think goes down as Africa's worst World Cup ever. All of the African teams out at the group stage for the first time since 1982. Uh, But back in 1982, there were only two African teams. Now we have five. Not even one of them could make it to the second round. So we're asking what has gone wrong. You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.